In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Today, the Feast of the Transfiguration is a day where we get to hear about Moses, a long-suffering character who is usually in the Old Testament, but today is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I am having so much fun picturing Moses this morning, trudging down that steep mountain, lugging two huge tablets. He doesn't know it, but the skin on his face is shining. It's shining so intensely that it is scaring his friends. And his face is shining this way because he had been talking with God. We're all familiar with the idea of having a certain glow. Sometimes you can tell if people are drinking enough water, taking care of themselves, because they have a bit of extra shine to them. You're glowing, someone might tell you. But have you ever, in all your days, been glowing this intensely? Have you ever been up to a mountaintop that transformative? Even on a sweaty summer morning, we're not glowing the way Moses is. The effect of this mountaintop and his talking with God was so great on him, the shining on his skin so obvious that the story tells us he developed a system of covering his face with a veil. Why did he do that? Maybe his skin was so bright it was hard to look at directly, like a solar eclipse. Or maybe Moses was shy. Maybe he didn't want to have a lot of questions as he walked along. But whatever it was, it is a kind of curious image, right? Thinking about Moses wearing a veil. If you really think about it, you might realize we don't usually see a man wearing a veil. We think of women in wedding veils or religious veils or hats with veils on them. But a man in a veil subverts our expectations and it is a bit topsy-turvy. In the gospel reading this morning, Jesus goes to a mountaintop too. And just like Moses, Jesus starts glowing. So these mountaintops are showing us that everyone who experiences God starts glowing. Jesus has taken his disciples, Peter, John, and James, up to the mountaintop to pray when his glowing starts happening. And then this is when Moses and Elijah appear, prophets whom we know to be long dead at this point. Again, it's topsy-turvy. It's not what the disciples expect. In fact, when I am doing children's chapel over in the chantry, I teach kids how to figure out if a story is from the Old Testament or the New Testament based on whether or not Moses is there or Jesus is there. If Moses is there, you know it's the Old Testament. If Jesus is there, you know it's new. So this story is a weird one, and it is so dazzling to them What does it make Peter suggest? Master, it is good for us to be here, he says. Let's build three little houses and stay here forever. Stay on the top of the mountain. That's how excited he is to see Moses and Elijah. 
In the Bible, there are different locales that come up over and over again. The wilderness, the garden, the gate, the well, and the mountaintop. Moses goes up a mountain so many times and always there receives something, is changed in some way by an encounter with God. If you know the end of the Moses story, you know there is a poignant end to it. Moses goes up the mountaintop one last time and from it glimpses the promised land before he dies. He never quite makes it there to the other side of the mountain, to the promised land. We can remember it every time we think of Martin Luther King Jr. who said, I've been to the mountaintop in his last public speech before he was killed. He too glimpsed the promised land, but never made it there. Have we as a country made it there yet? I think not quite. The promised land Martin Luther King Jr. preached about for our country we're not there quite yet. But from our vantage point, where we can maybe glimpse it, how do we get to it? Well, Jesus goes to the mountaintop to pray, where he too, like Moses, starts glowing. The church word for today is transfiguration, a word that has kind of been taken over by witches and wizards in our current culture, but which means a metamorphosis, a change. And yes, it is a magical one, but it is also physical, a physical change, your very own figure, your face, your body in transition, glimpsing God, glimpsing the promised land, not there yet, but seeing it, you are changed. So there are mountaintops in the Bible, but there are also vineyards where we toil, seas where we fish and walk across them and part them, and there are wildernesses where we are alone. Hagar and Ishmael make their way in the wilderness. Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and these wildernesses lie on the edges, always waiting to lure us into them and often they are around mountains. I think sometimes we all feel like Peter when we are on the top of a mountain. It's good for us to be here. We don't wanna be down there in the wilderness. And from here, we can see the promised land. Let's build our houses here on top of the mountain and stay forever. Our loved ones who we have lost are with us. God is with us. We can see the promised land just on the other side. Often we come to church to experience this kind of mountaintop moment. Comfort, beauty, inspiration, and change await us in church. It's a natural impulse, a good thing to seek from an experience of church community a cozy place up on the mountaintop where we are with God, where we are all glowing, where we don't have to look out upon the wilderness but can tip our eyes over to the promised land. But God's plan for us is not always comfort. God instead gives us this change. God gives us 
in these mountaintop moments, transfiguration. And this is not always totally comfortable. Change is not comfortable. We might be tempted, like Moses, to search for a veil or something to make it easier. I used to work at a church called St. Lydia's in Brooklyn, and it is affectionately known as a dinner church. I tell that to people, I would tell that when I was working there to people, and a lot of times they would ask, dinner church, is that like dinner theater? There is dinner, yes, but it is, in fact, very different from dinner theater. Dinner theater, you buy a ticket, you eat a meal in the dark, you don't have to talk to anyone that you're with because you're taking in a show. Dinner church, however, is about making church together. You get there early to cook the meal, to set the table, and you eat across the table from someone you might never sit across from otherwise and there's sort of forced talking to each other that happens at the dinner table. You clean up together and you go out into the world changed by an encounter that you have had. It's what we try to do every week at a normal church, non-dinner church. It's what you do at Grace when you come here and on Communion Sundays when you walk up for communion and reach out your hands for that bit of bread and sip of wine. It's no mistake in church architecture that we walk up to receive communion. But at St. Lydia's, the symbols for things and the things themselves get flattened. The distance between symbol and what you can touch and smell, steaming plates of food as opposed to our little wafers, crusty bread that rips in half and is warm in your hand. The symbols become real. This is a transfiguring way to do church for so many people who have otherwise felt pushed away for whatever reason from the circle around the altar of a churchy church. And it's not always easy. I confess as someone who worked there, I would often dread going to it because of the people I might have to talk to. Think about being at a dinner party where truly everyone is welcome. No one is in charge of place cards. You can be stuck next to anyone. It's not always pleasant. But the idea is that whatever happens at dinner church, you will leave changed. And that's the thing, isn't it? When we come to the mountaintop, when we come together in worship and prayer, hoping to glimpse a bit of God, hoping to get that extra glow, we are changed and then we always have to leave. You can't stay here all day. I'm sorry if you were planning on it. You can't, you're going to have to leave. We can never build our little houses directly on the mountaintop. We can keep coming back, but we keep having to leave. So I'm here to tell you today that this is a good thing. Sometimes we will go out into wildernesses that are waiting for us, and it's scary. We don't want to be there. And sometimes we don't even know when or where they're waiting for us. But God gives us everything we need on the mountaintop. 
God gives us everything we need when we're up here to survive the wildernesses. God gives us what we need to do the work that we need to do in the wilderness. The work of change, that's not always comfortable. The work of transfiguration. And one day, what will wait for us when we come down the mountaintop will not be the wilderness. It will be the promised land. And we can only get there if we leave. Amen.